Hello there. Good afternoon. Thank you for those who are joining us on the webinar today. And thank you to those who are listening on the podcast. My name is Paul Church. I'm Managing Director of Interquest. Um, and this is the People, Culture and Tech Community. We set this community up back in the depths of the first lockdown whilst we kind of try to figure out what to do in 2020. And it's grown the community to around 900 people now. Actually, I think it's 930. And really, each session is about sharing ideas and innovations and passions, which hopefully helps us all make our businesses just a little bit better. And today, we are talking about what a perfect onboarding experience looks like. And it's so, so important in terms of what's going on out there right now, when we're talking about the war for talent, the competition for talent, the great resignation, the great counteroffer, all those things and more. And this ties in. And if you're not sure why, we'll explain why. And then we'll show you hopefully how to go away and do it. Well, at least Martin will, and I'll uh, I'll chip in. But today, I'm, I'm very happy to be joined by Martin. Um, Martin is the Managing Consultant of ProAction HR. Martin is my go-to for a number of topics. Um, we've, we've had Martin coming on to talk about the future of HR. We've talked about Brexit. And here we are. You've scored a hat-trick, Martin, back on our community. So thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Um, delighted to be joining you, Paul. And yeah, really looking forward to this one. I think... Um, it's a passion of mine. It's something as an item, as a as a program of work. It's something that, yeah, there are good companies out there, but we probably spend too much time on acquiring people into organisations, acquiring the talent, and probably not enough actually on how do we keep and retain and do more with what we what we've just landed. So that's uh, that's why I was really keen to talk on the subject and hopefully get some uh, some other connections and some ideas from the audience in terms of what they're up to. Um, and how we can make it even better for 2022 onwards. Fantastic. Thanks. It was great to have you with us. And um, we we were originally scheduled to have Diane Ward with us today. She's been unable to make it. So just myself and Marty are going to be going through this. And I suppose more than ever, um, I'd invite audience participation. You know, if you've got any questions or anything you'd like to chip in with or any just scenarios, then please do, as always, put your virtual hand up and I can invite you to, to speak. Or if you want to pop a message in a chat box, that's cool as well. But for Martin, just, just for those who don't know you, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a bit of an overview of your background and your journey, your expertise and what you're up to now, so we can just kind of paint a picture of who you are, then we'll get stuck into it. Yeah, sure, Paul. So HR, I always get worried when I talk about the levels of, of years experience, but about 25 years in HR um, from first graduating through Effectively, first half of my career was in permanent up to sort of head of HR type level. And then the last or previous 12 years was in, in an interim capacity, looking at managing people change projects within global organisations or divisions of, of global organisations and really bringing a difference to the world of work. My strong passion is the value of people and how as organisations we almost tend to, if we're not careful, we tend to start to row against that capability and put things in the way. So this is a subject for me that, you know, this should be about facilitating the best success for every new starter in the organisation. They've joined you for a reason. How do you keep them there? And that, that really is keep them there and keep them successful. And that's, that's the key. And that really is a passion of mine. So, um, yeah, really pleased to be here. Started my HR consultancy what, three years ago now, Proaction HR looking at all things change, all things people, and supporting small, medium-sized enterprises along the way with a whole variety of different subjects. Before we go into onboarding yourself, let's just paint, well, I'll, I'll begin to paint a little bit of a picture as to what's going on out there. And many who are listening know the challenges around retention and attraction right now. And certainly a lot of my time these days is spent looking and sharing data we've got 
as to what's going on in the market. Just to, to want to throw a few numbers out there so we can just really paint a picture of how competitive it really is. So back in March 2020, when none of us really knew what was going to, what impact COVID was going to have, and actually at a very good time in the market, you know, at Interquest, we had one of our best quarters for 10 years, and we thought 2020 was going to be a great year, uh, little did we know. But at that point, and that was because of how good the market was, at that point across the board, there was around 1.6 million active job postings every week across everything. If we fast forward to where we are now, we're looking at around about two point, I think it's around about 2.8 or 2.9 million job postings a week. So we're talking, you know, a huge increase. It's almost doubled in that time. So there's that much more demand. Um, if I continue talking about my stats, the Office for National Statistics said at the end of uh, September, beginning of October, that they had the highest level of vacancy since records began in 2001. The number of employees on payrolls increased uh, by over 200K to a record 29.2 million. If you're looking at the markets, which I typically tend to work in, and, and I know some of the people listening tend to work in, in tech, um, there's around about 50% more job postings than there used to be. Um, there's something like a 30% higher demand for software devs than there was back in March 2020, which again, that was a good market. So it is so competitive out there. And so if you're feeling that and you're not, you're thinking, God, why is it so hard to find people? That's why, because there's just so, so much demand and the supply is not matching it. Martin, anything, anything to add around the battlefield, as it were? I was throwing a couple of side issues to this. I think one is, why is it so high? Well, Clearly, business is booming despite COVID and progress is being made, but also businesses are catching up. Businesses weren't hiring in that year or 18 months. So actually, we've got an artificial volume. That's not good. I mean, that's, that means we're all crazy busy trying to fill, fill positions. It doesn't mean it's going to go away any anytime soon because we all know that this presents opportunities, presents promotions, it presents people with career next steps. And of course, what happens then? Well, we've got another vacancy to fill. So we're not going to suddenly see this disappear, this trend in the next few months. This is with us for a while. It's how do we navigate our way through it and help our organisations through that, that problem? Do you think in 2022, I mean, are we, are we at the peak? Is, it getting, is, it, is the demand going to get more, do you think? Don't catch me on that one, Paul. I've made predictions about COVID and uh, it's it red-faced me a few times. I mean, are we at the peak um, we saw in the US, we saw the great, great resignation. What was it? 3% of the population resigning in a month. I still think we are, COVID has created uh, an expectation on staff and a value to their career like we've never seen before. Are we at the peak or are we in, in a continued state throughout 2022? I don't think it's disappearing. Better people than me will give better predictions. I couldn't tell you whether we're at peak or still growing, but um, it's still here for at least 2022, in my opinion, unless something drastic happens in terms of the state of the economy. And there is always that. But at the moment, it looks like boom time throughout 2022, which depending where you sit in the world of employment is either a good thing or a bad thing. Right? Um, I think we'd all prefer to be growing as organisations than shrinking. So the competition is fierce. We've got it. It's tough out there. We've, we've covered that. So we know what we're up against. So let's get into onboarding. And, and Martin, let's just, just for absolutely clear, let's, would you mind just defining first of all what onboarding is for you? Well, I'll give you my personal definition, certainly. For, for me, a few, quite a few years back, I was always caught between this. Is, it, is onboarding in American jargon and is induction the UK version? And for me, for a few years now, I've placed induction as the things we have to do, the policies, the processes that need signing off, the health and safety to have read, et cetera. So that's, if you like, the first week, two weeks in an organisation. 
onboarding for me is the experiences throughout entering into an organization. Even from the moment you first interview with that organization, you first hear about the job vacancy to an offer right through the offer acceptance stages, resigning, coming into that organization. And then for me, until the individual is successful, and a lot of theory is written about is the first three months. I would argue, depending on the job role, it could be a month, it could be six months, depending on the, on the complexity and the learning required. But at the point the individual is signed off successful in that organization, that's when onboarding finishes. So, and it's all those experiences in that period that, that we need to combine. We need to think about the candidate, if you like, for form of a better phrase, the candidate, the journey through that, or the employee experience through that. Where do you think companies get it wrong with onboarding? I think there's a multitude. One is that it's, and hopefully we'll get some of the audience here hearing or disagreeing here. I think one is that it's an HR tool and it's an HR process. If we think of onboarding, it is a personal experience. You like an organisation, you meet people through an interview process, you see the opportunity, you may gel with a couple of people in that interview. Normally you wouldn't accept a role if there's not a degree of personality fit as well, but you'd like to think most people would not. So therefore, if we just make it a process and we just make it a department leading on onboarding, then it becomes an impersonal experience, okay? Take nothing against any of us in HR, but actually, we're not the line manager. We're not the person that we'll be dealing with that new individual on a regular basis. I'm a big fan for getting the process in play, but not at the expense of risking the the lack of personality behind it. And I I think genuinely, I think a lot of organisations, this is an HR process, get on with it. Well, it takes a team to make that a successful experience. Part of me thinking there, just how how important these first impressions are. I think think as human beings, we like to think that all our decisions are... Decisions are analytical and we really there's a lot of thought behind it, but a lot of them are just instant judgments. And then we kind of work our work our way back and that's built into our DNA, our, our survival instincts. So if you if you have a bad experience from the off, that will sit with you, whether you want to admit it or not. So it's just so, so crucial um, to get it right from the off because you want to set things off on, the, on you know, a bad start. I was thinking about this the other day, actually, Paul, in terms of certainly my experience, a lot of organisations spend a lot of time about removing the bias and making sure that we, we select fairly. So spending time with managers and making sure there's a, a good process behind hiring the right person. And that's all about, if we're not careful, if we meet the person on the first day and we like the, like the handshake and they, they look and feel a bit like us, of course, we tend to have a bias towards them. And yet, so we spend time on that, and yet we don't spend time on the individual once we've hired them, having an experience of the organisation. It works but The classic, right? The interview is a two-way process. Well, also onboarding is. And especially in a, in a candidate-driven market, if we don't get our onboarding right, at the point at which expectations failed, there's a huge risk that the head is turned. They will undoubtedly, even though they're new joiners, they will undoubtedly be hearing about new vacancies because they've been in the talent acquisition pipeline of many organisations, right? So just because they joined you doesn't mean they're, they're a definite keeper. Yeah, I mean, how how I mean, how easy is it? Do you think to lose people in the first few months? And and just just a side comment to that is, as a manager, it's so difficult when you hire somebody in, you introduce them to the business, and then for whatever reason, after a while, they've gone within two or three months. It looks so bad, and it's so that's just one of the many problems you have with losing people that quickly. But from a from a um, consistency and from oh, here is this person, you know, nice to meet, and then they've gone. It, it's it's terrible. So, but what, how easy is it for you to lose people in the first few months? Do you think? 
it's overused, but it's a psychological contract. I think for me, and I've used the word already, onboarding is about experience. And the moment you, you have a fantastic interview, you might be worried that you haven't actually performed well enough because you really want that role. And actually, then the offer comes through and you're delighted and you're wowed by it. Um, and maybe they do something novel in, in, even in the offer process, right, that sets an individual, individual organisation aside. But it's the moment when that expectation drops. That could be day one, the manager is too busy to spend time with you. Or it could be day one, the laptop doesn't arrive on time, right? It's, it's the classic, you know. I refer often to, to the first day nerves. It's not just the new starters' nerves. It should be the organisation's nerves. Is this going to go swimmingly for us? It is very easy. Of course it is. What you don't always see is the immediate effect. So you might see a head, you might not notice the head being turned. You may well see it in your turnover rates. Look into new starters three to nine months. Have a look at your data. Have you got an increasing trend there that people are leaving you? It's either because you're hiring the wrong people, of course, there is a risk of that, but it could also be that their heads are turned and and the experience is not what, what was sold to them at interview. I think it's a really good point in terms of the, the employee's first day nerves. I think, yeah, I mean, we're living in a world now where, you know, it's up to the company to impress a candidate that they're the company they, they should work for rather than it's the candidate's job to impress the client or can, a, a company that they're the right candidate for them. You know, the world's yeah. flipped in its head in the last 20 years. So, of course, those, and those nerves should continue for the company into once they start because they've got to, you know, this is something that somebody they've got to keep hold of because they don't want to go to market again. That's for sure. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, if we look at the great resignations, there's a lot, lot being written about that from the US side. But if we look at that as a principle, I don't, I think this is a growing trend, right? We've had two years in a COVID state. Why should we accept our career as it was? Why shouldn't we look at alternative ways of working, hobbies that you want to turn into career, etc.? So it's easier to get your head turned, particularly as if you gave something a go and it didn't work, there's another job six months down the line anyway. The market is so buoyant, you will find something else. So I do think it's an increasing trend that heads will be turned unless you get it right. By the way, I think there's also, in the market of onboarding, I think there's a lot of organisations aren't doing it well enough. And that's an opportunity for you as an employer to do it in a different way. Because just having everything lined up and the experience and the relationship and the communication on an ongoing basis from offer right through will set you apart from the field, in my opinion, at least. I won't ask you which companies you know that don't have good onboarding experiences, but do you know any companies that are there that stand out to you as having really strong onboarding experiences? Onboarding for me is about the organisation and about their objectives. I, mean, I would certainly say, as an organisation, think about what you want to deliver from it. Is it about actually socialising individuals and get them to understand the business? Is it about culture? Is it about actually keeping high talent for as long as possible and growing them through your organisation. So first of all, what's the objective? But go to, to leading players. I would turn to most of the digital players. In They've got great systems, but they've also got an understanding of the volume they're growing at. How do they, how do, they do it different? So the Googles of this world, etc. But I'd say that with a huge warning sign, and that is, don't think that, to me, onboarding is all about the system. It's about its purpose and, and, and its value. Why are you doing onboarding in the first place? A lot of organisations do it very, very well. I would challenge us all to go, maybe we do it on a call. If you think your onboarding is 7 out of 10 or lower, let me know and I'll come and look for your candidates who are joining your organisation and I'll try and turn their heads to another organisation. If you're 8 or above, fantastic. Don't sit still on 8. Think about how you get it to 9. 
how do you keep improving? And I don't think this is, or in my opinion, it's not great we've got our onboarding tick. I think it is actually a continuous basis. Mm. I've done it in the past in organisations where I've gone and met those new starters in that first week, or I've put a questionnaire in place in the first week, first month, second month, third month. I want to know, and then I look at the exit data too, I want to know actually at what point in the process does it fail and Mm. why. And actually, if you're you're honest enough with new starters and say, how was it? More often than not, some will speak up, as long as they they feel secure in that process. And in fact, it's, it's a value add to be asking them their opinion. You want to get better for the next entrance. We'll usually give freely. You have to keep it fluid. You know, what people expected expect now is different to what people expected three years ago even you know definitely not different to what it was 10 years ago and that goes to benefits work-life balance and, and everything else in, involved as well so that and that would go for onboarding as well won't it you know likewise from a COVID era actually bringing people in in the last two years has been horrifically difficult how do you challenge that how do you make it better how do you streamline the process you can still make it personal but of course it's not sit here at your desk with your team around you for the first month it's not necessarily going to be like that in a lot of organizations there are interventions. There are other ways of doing it, right? If you pick your moments, depending on where we are with COVID and where we are with the advice, you can, you can create that team day, you can create that team event, you can create that virtual event to welcome them. So there are other, other ways around it. It just takes a bit more, a bit more due diligence and a, and, a, and a bit more innovation, really, and thinking different ways through. And I think in a sec, I'm sure we'll get into, I suppose, what, what, what's that tick list, the, fun, the functional side of it, the emotional side of it, how do you really get hold of people? But before we do that, where do you, where do you see the responsibilities lying? And obviously, it's going to vary business to business, and that's quite broad, but there's an ecosystem here. So how, how, how should it operate, ideally, do you think? So how I've always operated on this basis is it has got to be owned by someone. The best people that can own it are either talent acquisition or, or, or broader HR, talent development, et cetera. But I think I've seen a number of times where organisations immediately assume that, oh, that's great, HR will do it. Um, actually, as I said earlier, to socialise, to involve people in the organisation and to get them a better understanding, it's got to be put upon, back upon the organisation. So the leaders of that organisation need to accept that they have a significant part to play in it. I would never want... Um, and an onboarding program to be delivered only by HR or only only by even the department that they've joined in. It needs to be a combined approach. When do you put 10 new joiners in a room together, virtual or otherwise, um, and they come from a whole different area of the business and they start to buddy up and they start to understand? What a great experience that if you're nervous, here's nine other people who are nervous who are also in the same boat, broadly speaking, in terms of start date. So don't ever do it in one department. But there has to be an owner to the process. So I think it still sits with HR to own, but it has to have significant contribution right across the business. So let's let's get into a little bit then. So in terms of the functional aspects of the onboarding experience, what must you get right? A whole heap, right? I think first and foremost for me, I, I mentioned it earlier, objective-wise, what's the objective of, of your programme? What are you seeking to do here? Is it the retention of talent? Is it actually that you've got a unique culture and you need people to understand that culture best? So actually think about your objective um, and purpose for the programme. Then you get into actually, get out of the way, HR, get out of the way, okay? Facilitate, organise, cajole, but get out of the way of a manager-individual relationship. Actually measure the way in which managers interact from the moment the offer's gone 
to their onboarding and uh, their starting date and thereafter. The classic is, great, HR's offered. Can you update us? Yes, they've accepted. And then nothing happens until day one. And that's a wasted opportunity. I had the opportunity with a client um, only the other day in onboarding a senior person for end of January. And they reached out. They gave me a perfect opportunity. They reached out and they wanted to know more about the business. And they had not accepted their, their written offer. But the depth and the, and the relationship built through an hour spent on the phone. Never met the person. It's all been via, via virtual. Um, but the relationship has strengthened as a result. So don't ignore the, the opportunity for managers to build relationship beforehand. And to put it cynically, it's a freebie, right? They're not on your payroll. They're prepared to interact with you. I, would, I wouldn't say overdo it, but they're prepared to interact with you before they join. You make use of that in every way, shape or form. Give them a right amount of material written or otherwise ahead of time. Consider your confidentiality, but actually how much can you bring them up to speed? in your culture, in your departments, in the understanding of the business ahead of time. It's a freebie to you. It also, and you all know this, Paul, from, from your role, um, it will de-risk the counteroffer, right? Because the more you engage ahead of the day, the more hopefully they become impressed and start to feel like that organisation, uh, be, being part of that organisation. So pre-start, absolutely. Day one, it's the classic. It's so many organisations have got it wrong. You know, IT say to you on a Thursday, we don't have enough laptops. Well, then we need a stock of laptops because we need to be able to find a process that works. But you shouldn't be letting equipment and desks and other bits and bits and pieces that are hygiene factors at the most, right? They should not be impacting on the experience. So it should be a, a very easy and big tick there for day one, everything set up. Think about the human, human elements of day one. Actually, are you going to take them to lunch? Is the team going to take them to lunch? I know um, Jess Vivian's on the call from Total Jobs, and, and they will, in their HR department, they will actually have a breakfast on, on day one or day two um, as a team. So think about some personal touches that might make a difference and, and break the ice. So again, that relationship and that social side is really, really important. And then I would go into a process, depending on, again, I talked about the type of role and the, the time it will take to learn and become successful. This could be first three months, month one, month two, month three. It could be even up, up to nine months, okay? Month one, month three, month six, month nine. But you have touch points reviews. Critically, I have a view that we all have performance reviews in some way, shape or form. We all assess people's performance for me, the new starter is no different. Just because they're coming in on day one and they don't know the job doesn't mean we shouldn't be setting them objectives or goals. You should minimise them and you should, like any good objective or goal, you should make them smart. You should make them achievable. That month one objective could simply be about inducting and understanding the way in which the organisation works. But give them something because most individuals come to work to succeed. They want to, at the end of a short period, go with their manager, yeah, they're liking what I'm doing. It's a big tick for me. I'm heading in the right direction. And it's kind of lazy management or, or a poor process that doesn't enable that. Don't wait to, to month three to get right objectives. No, give them something meaningful. Week one, week two. It has to be achievable. And you lower down the expectations of those goals. Of course you do. But you need to give them something early on. 
just going back to the point you made around the, the, the counter offer and that, that engagement piece throughout, um, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who are listening right now who will have you know new starters in January. One thing I've said to my whole my whole team and my business is that just make sure you are engaging with your candidates over this Christmas period because there's a big break, and I'll, I'll tell you what, there's going to be internal recruiters working, and there's going to be external recruiters working, and they will be calling them up and whispering nothing's in their ears and I think we've got a great resignation we've got a great counter offer and we may start seeing the great dropout in January you know so we've got to be uh, just don't expectation, assume anything expectation management again right if it was great up to the point of offer and it's gone silent that's a big risk yeah. huge risk and especially in this market for sure Based on everything you said there I think, and I think there's some really real tangibles people can take away from that but if we just focus hone in on a hybrid or a remote working culture, how do you ensure that joinees get the right levels of communication during onboarding? And, and just to add to that is, you know, we're not we're not in a lockdown, but we might end up in one. Certainly in London, if you're London-based, a lot of companies are, you know, we're advising people to work from home as, as per the government rules. So even if you're not actually a remote-first business, you, you're kind of getting forced down that route anyway, and you're probably still going to continue hiring. So how do we get that right with the onboarding and the communication, everything like that, in that kind of manner? First of all, it's difficult. And we've had only two years experience of it but we have had some experience we, we did in 2020 we will all have hired um, someone or some people uh, and gone through this experience and revamped it look system is great but don't hide just behind the system for me this is about consistent process at what points do we touch the new starter with what information and in what way and actually it's like any good communication approach it's more than one medium so let's not rely just on email. Let's actually, like I said, let's diarise that point where maybe it's there's a touch point from recruitment, okay, if it's a long notice period before joining. Certainly there's a manager contact before. And then as we go through the first three to six months, depending on, on sort of success criteria, and think about a consistent basis. What experience do they have in the first two weeks? The critical point at which... You know, actually, you need to get them ready, up to speed. There is that induction part. There is some policy stuff you have to get through. Most organisations have to have to get through that early or early on, if not before arriving. Then look at you're starting to do the job role. How do you make sure that you reinforce that? What experiences, what knowledge do you provide to them? But most importantly, when. In my experience, a number of times people will join the organisation. They refer to themselves. So can I be a sponge? And they kind of go around mopping up every bit of information in any, every, every possible opportunity in the first two weeks. And then it's tick, I've done it, I've got it. Actually, think about it as a new starter. If you're managing a new starter or you're managing the onboarding process, break it down into meaningful tr- chunks. I, I knew an organisation years ago now, they do 11 days extensive sales training before they, before they got on literally on the phones and started selling and pool selling. The individuals were coming out the other end absolutely exhausted. Dropout rate was ridiculous. There was no reason to have that extensive process. So we broke it down into bite-sized pieces. It was three days initially. Then it was another three. Then it, and you just built from there. So think about it from a new starter's perspective. What's achievable? Do you really want them having the experience of going after three weeks, they're meeting in the pub on the Friday night with a mate, and, and how's the new job? Exhausting. Because... Because if that's the response, where are they going to, what's the likelihood, what's the chances and percentage of them actually having their heads turned? And you've spent a fortune getting those people in, training them through, getting the manager involved. And like you said, nothing worse. If someone gets introduced and leaves very short, shortly afterwards, 
nothing worse as a as a, a feel bad factor for the existing staff. All right, what happened there then? That could turn other people's heads. So you don't don't want that experience. The other tip I would say on, and I know it's really hard with the number of vacancies organisations have got, and I've had some recent experience of this too. Think about the volume of new starters you can actually absorb in a department, in an organisation at any one time. I've certainly seen it on numerous occasions now. When you hire volume of new starters, you have a turnover effect because you simply cannot get, you can't buddy them up, you can't give them the, the level of experience they need. So I'm not saying don't hire, of course, if you can find suitable candidates, hire them, but, but think about how you phase people being introduced to the organisation. Yeah, I think, um, and just just another, on your point around um, the effect it can have on other people uh, when someone leaves, and for me as a manager, when when someone leaves and hands a notice, and it's all, it's sad. But actually, the biggest concern for me is always like, oh, what how are other people going to look at that that and think, oh god, no, actually, maybe I should go. And how bad does it look if that person's been there two weeks and they they leave after two weeks? Think, oh, what did they see that I haven't seen after three years or whatever? You know, it's just, it, it, it's just it, so even worse. Where have they gone? Where have they gone? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the risk, right? Yeah. yeah, definitely. So we've touched on it a little bit. So what's the way? And for me, there's the checklist, the functional side, getting the IT side, the communication. Mm-hmm. That's right. How do you really get hold of someone's emotions and make them emotionally attached to your business during that onboarding process? What are some, some things that have worked for you? Or what are the things that people should bear in mind, do you think? Emotional attachment is all about they joined you for a purpose. They joined you for a reason. It's a, a career step. It's a challenge. Whatever that purpose is for that individual, there's a reason why they chose your organization over another, because we know that there's plenty of other opportunities out there. So actually, how do you help them deliver that? Well, and it kind of goes back to my earlier message that onboarding has to be owned by HR. But we need to start winning the hearts, in my experience at least, more hearts and minds of line managers and senior managers, that actually it's intrinsically important, critical, that the manager of that area of that or that senior manager takes onboarding seriously. How many times have, have we all seen a new starter arrive and kind of have to start dropping out of, of introduction meetings because they've got to get on with the day job? That's not a great sign, okay? Um, take it seriously, commit some time to it, build up that relationship by having manager to one-to-one individual conversations, you know? This is why I hired you. This, this, is, this is what I saw in you. Again, it goes back to my reference to objectives and goals to some extent, because get from them what they're seeking to do in the first few months. Give them some ownership to it as well, and then create a, a, a team play around how you deliver on that. Then there's a win-win, right? Because the organization's getting the individual onboarded, comfortable, performing, and the individual's feeling that their aspirations of why they joined you are also being heard and, and the manager's got, at least has got that in mind and is trying to work towards goals that will help you towards that. But in short, enlist the manager in the process. If you put it bluntly, no manager, to your, your example, Paul, no manager wants that individual walking out in the first few months. They should want them to succeed. They own that. HR facilitates it. I think there's um, a lot to be said as well for like, it's so important to make people feel special. You know, you need to be made to feel special at that beginning. And at any point, you know, you always see on LinkedIn, 
someone puts up on their on their they've just started a new job they've got a big welcome pack they've got some chocolates they've got uh, brandy stuff and it, and it seems a bit fluffy but it is important people appreciate that kind of stuff I know Facebook and I've not been ever been offered a job at Facebook yeah I'm sure I will at some point but uh, still working they, on it yeah yeah I'm working on it yeah uh, MD of Facebook but they send out a full pack a full pack of what your life's going to look like for the first 12 months of your journey it's personalised and it makes that yeah. person feel excited and special and things like that they really do go a long way don't you think Look, I, I think every organisation is unique and can do it in a different way. If you do the same thing as your competitor, it won't be novel, it won't be new. And I first spoke to an HR director who was asking me to, to look at the way in which we literally, I don't think we called it onboarding, uh, how we offer to individuals and how do we make it different. And we came up with the tea bag in, in the envelope, okay? Self-addressed back to us. Don't even have to, to write out your own envelope. Here's a tea bag sit down and, and have a couple while you look through your terms and conditions. Try to give them something, small cost, right? But try to give them something slightly, this is 20 years ago, but try to give them something slightly different and just a bit curious and go, okay, they really thought about me. Take that further. How many times do we send out employment terms and conditions? And it is legal gobbledygook. Maybe not for some HR practitioners on this call, but actually, how do we make it simpler for them? How do we give them a one-page crib sheet that actually says, we have to do terms and conditions, but here's an explanation of what we mean by these by these paragraphs, right? Yeah. Have to be a little bit careful. We do have to put a bit of caution on that one because you don't want to get that crib sheet wrong. But, but there is another way of being slightly more human in the whole offer process and, and making it easier for people. So little touches, like you said, to being the MD of Facebook, I'm just pitching you out there, Paul, hmm. um, because you want the, the uh, new starter pack, right? That's the only reason you want to join Facebook. Exactly. I just want to see it. I just want to see what see what that look like. And do you, when we were when we were chucking around some ideas the other day, I suggested I'm trying to look at what this process looks like. That maybe there's three areas which you've got to have covered. And they all overlap. They don't exist without one or the yeah. other. And for me, it was the functionality. It was the communication, and it was the emotional attachment. Is that is that simplifying things too much, or do you think that's fair? No, I think I think there's interplay between all those three areas. But I agree with you, and I like your synopsis of it. Really. You can't ever communicate enough, um, both before and after starting, and you should communicate consistently. So what you don't want is a bunch of new starters going, to use my example, well, I got a tea bag in my offer. Where was mine? Because immediately you, you failed your expectations. So you have to have some consistency around your processes, but communicate, 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 and involve other different people along the way in that communication, including the manager. That, of course, feeds your emotional connections, okay? This is an organisation that cares about me. I get their culture because you're onboarding me into it in a better way. So actually, even you hired me because you were looking at my characteristics and how it fitted with my culture. Fantastic. Now you're telling me more about the culture through the onboarding process by identifying it. And my, my emotional attachment to this organisation and the people within it is only growing stronger. And then the, the functional piece, yeah, look, it's the hygiene factors. There isn't an excuse for why any of that should fail. There is no reason in this day and age why a laptop shouldn't be there on day one, your phone number, whatever else is required to facilitate a new starter. There's just no excuse for it. But so many organisations get to a bureaucratic state where we're struggling with it. And um, I think we're going to, I'm going to ask Martin to summarise in just a second, a bit of a checklist as to what we must do. And I'd invite, we've, we've held the room here and actually the room's grown throughout. So it means we probably aren't, it means we've probably answered everything really, really well already. Happy but 
Sorry, Paul. Happy Happy Christmas to Abby, who's just got to leave us. Happy Christmas, Abby. Yes, thanks, thanks, Abby, for joining us. If anybody has got any questions, now now's the time to ask and pop it in the chat box or put your hand up, and I'll invite you to ask yourself. Uh, but Martin, what is the go-to checklist? Just to summarise what we've talked about here for a business for onboarding, what, what have we got to make sure we're covering that people can just take away from hit this uh, yeah, top line? Sure. In terms of top line, I think, first of all, what's the objectives of the programme? It's going to be different depending on your organisation. But really, stringently, if you haven't got that written down, think about its purpose. Sell that to your leadership team and get your leaders involved in it. Um, so get management buy into it. Understand your, your data, and I would encourage you, in the two years we've just had, look at your, and I appreciate 2020 may be distorted, so you may have to go back a, a year or two too, but look at your turnover rates for new starters, three, six, nine-month type, type points. How many people are leaving you in those categories? What percentage of your population or your, what percentage of your turnover is leaving at that service level? Are you seeing a trend growing there? Because that's going to give you a commercial reason for why you want to improve and you want to upgrade your onboarding. Hygiene factors, there's no excuse. Get it sorted out. If the process fails, fix the process. It's the easiest thing to fix and it's possibly the most frequent thing that just gives people the wrong impression. Despite everyone's efforts, something doesn't turn up. We've talked about it, communicate, communicate, communicate. Use different sources to communicate. Use different mediums to communicate, especially in this hybrid model. Please don't rely just on email and use the excuse that, you know, we've got to work from home, therefore we're only emailing you. There is such a thing as Zoom, I think. I think we're on that now. We've got Teams. We've got just, you know what, good old-fashioned telephone calls work a work treat as well. So have that relationship and build through different mediums. I've said just, just look at simplifying. People are humans, and we get so caught up in, well, we have to give them an offer in this way because it's a legal requirement. Yeah, okay, but, but break it down, make it simpler for them. There's no reason we can't. One piece of work to simplify will go a long way and you can use it for the next five years onwards. Something we haven't touched on, Paul, I think it will grow as, sadly, COVID continues, is what is your policy? I, I know it's happened in attraction this year. What is your policy for working from home, working from the office? But actually, you need to be very, very clear, I think, not just in the talent traction now, but also the new starters that have joined. What are you expecting? What's your policy on it? And what does it look like? Is it hybrid? Is it whatever? You need to be very, very clear on, on what that message is and give it on a consistent basis. And then really the last one for me was, I mean, we talked about social connections, but the last one for me was very much this consider objectives, consider goals. People don't join organisations, in my opinion, they join to thrive and, and, and succeed, okay? Give them an opportunity to measure how they're progressing. Give the manager an opportunity to actually not wait for the normal process, the annual process, but actually sit down week two, week three, right, where are we going here? And start to write some achievable but stretching goals. Fantastic. Thanks, Martin. Well, I think that's a great summary of it all. And uh, Martin, I'm sure there'll be people who might want to reach out to you after this and just maybe pick your brain a bit further. What's the best way for them to do so? on the website or they can email me martin at proaction-hr.co.uk or through you paul and all through me of course oh we've got two questions hang on a two minute questions. two questions right sorry mick we're going to hang on for you so martin how do you engage with the slt members and can you tell me a bit more about an effective induction session okay so from the slt members for me this is about creating i talked about data look at your data look at your issues if you, and clearly you're asking the question because you think there is an issue, 
Hopefully your data will prove some of that as well. Look at actually it not becoming HR and why, why that is important. Use Paul's actual simple methodology there of it's about the relationships, it's about the functional processes, it's a combination of factors. You can't deliver that if you are just HR. If you've got data that proves your turnover rates or people resigning early on in their careers, fantastic. That will be the commercial reason why you need to focus and improve on it. I guess the second question, effective induction session. I'm, I'm assuming by that you mean what I describe induction to be, the kind of policies, processes, etc. I usually would look at, um, I'd look at actually trying to create teams on that. So if you've got a number of starters, don't get them to read their policies and processes. Uh, Jess Vivian does a great, great job of this at Total Jobs, I know, just a big shout out to her. Don't look at them to write, read all the policies and processes and sign off. It's boring as, okay? Look at them to work as a team together, to describe those policies and processes, to articulate what it means. Create some fun through the exercise. Policies and processes are dull as dishwater. We all know that, but actually they are a central part. There are elements they have to sign off on, but bring it out, create some team event, which can only create more social interaction with the new starters. I'm not sure whether that covers your question about induction. If there's any more on that, please reach out to me. More than happy to. You've got, you got, got a thank, thank you. you got right. a nods there. Good stuff. Thank you, everybody. Everybody, thank This is probably the last episode of People, Culture and Tech this year. So thank you, everybody, for your support, for sharing, for listening, for being a part of it. Um, and I hope to see you all in 2022. I'll have plenty more content for you. Um, so thanks, everyone. Have a Merry Christmas. Uh, and Martin, thanks again for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thanks for running this year. And uh, Merry Christmas to you and everyone. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Bye-bye.